Hello, humans, hello, humans, hello, humans of the world. It's me, Ellie Krug, on the lovely AM950, broadcasting to you um, sort of live, well, the day yesterday, um, from scenic Eden Prairie, Minnesota. Ellie uh, 2.0 Radio is the name of the show. We talk about idealism and idealists, and you happen to be talking to a hopeless, hopeless idealist. Hopeless in the sense of I will never, ever not be an idealist. So there you go. We've got a great show that you will enjoy learning about. That includes the big interview with Sandra Sandra Samuels, uh, who's going to talk about an incredible project named The First Thousand Days. But let me begin with our featured idealist um, this week, Congressional Representative Katie Porter, who represents California's 45th District. And if the name doesn't ring a bell, okay, maybe this will. In congressional hearings, she's the one with the whiteboard, or she was, I'll get into that in a second, who starts writing down numbers as witnesses testify, and then she uses the numbers against those witnesses. She happens to also be a lawyer. She happens to be doing, I used to, when I used to try lawsuits, guess what I did? I didn't use a whiteboard, I used a, one of those big pads of paper that you'd put on an easel and you'd flip the paper from page to page. That's exactly what I did when witnesses testified. Here is the story on Katie Porter. And she is literally from our neighborhood. She was born and grew up in Fort Dodge, Iowa. Remember, I'm a former Iowan. Um, Well, I'm an Iowan in my heart until I die. But now I'm a Minnesotan as well. Fort Dodge is actually where Katie Porter was born born and grew up. It's a town where I tried actually multiple lawsuits back when I did practice law. Kitty Porter's father was a farmer turned banker and her mother excelled at quilting. She built some kind of a national reputation about being a quilter. But uh, like so many of our leaders, Katie was able to obtain a gold-plated education. She went to Phillips Academy for high school, Yale University undergraduate and Harvard Law School. Parenthetically, um, it's sad that we don't have more leaders from basic public high schools um, who didn't rub elbows with rich people beginning at age 14. I'm just saying that. I really am. Nothing against Katie Porter. You know, knock yourself out in getting that kind of education. But boy, if we had a whole lot more quote-unquote normal people um, from normal quote-unquote backgrounds, I wonder how the world would be different. Uh, still, um, Katie Porter did do some things to earn her stripes. For example, uh, she clerked for a federal judge and later headed a project for U.S. bankruptcy judges that dealt with business bankruptcy. And she learned how about uh, consumer rights and remedies in doing that. After teaching at various law schools, which included a six-year stint at the University of Iowa Law School, a place where I've both spoken and and studied um, in their law law library writing briefs, Katie Porter ended up in Orange County, California, teaching law school. Along the way, she authored a legal textbook about consumer law. Um, In 2012, when Porter was just 38 years old, um, then California Attorney General Kamala Harris, Kamala, we know that name, Veep Kamala, um, appointed Katie Porter to be the state's independent agent to monitor a $25 billion mortgage settlement stemming from the 
2008, 2009, financial crisis, great recession. So think about this. You got this person born in Iowa, <laughs> you know, who mainly is a, a, a law school professor who then, not even 40 years old, gets appointed to oversee, to like be the monitor for how $25 billion is going to be spent uh, to help make people whole from the financial crisis relative to mortgages. Somewhere along the way, Porter developed plans to run for public office. It helps that she interned for Chuck Grassley in college. Um, wrong party, but still good experience. And it also helped that one of her law school professors was Elizabeth Warren. In fact, Porter and Warren developed such a close relationship that Katie Porter named her daughter Betsy after Elizabeth Warren. Hmm. I guess that's guaranteed to get Elizabeth Warren's attention. And two, in 2016, Porter advised Hillary Clinton on housing policy. Now, in 2018, while living in Orange County, Porter ran against a two-term Republican. Now, in some respects, this was, like, really crazy. Because the 45th District in California, which was created in 1953, had never, ever, ever elected a Democrat. It was 65 years of Republican domination. But Porter went out, took on the two-term incumbent, and Porter won. It's also a sign that Orange County, long, long, long a Republican stronghold, turning purple. It sure helped that um, Katie Porter labeled herself as, a, as different as someone who refused PAC money. Once in the House, uh, Katie Porter was appointed to the House Financial Services Committee. <clears throat> now, this is where I'll let some Wikipedia text uh, give you <clears throat> the best because my, it's easier to read it than me to paraphrase it. So this is what uh, Wikipedia says under the heading of Congressional Questioning. Because that's really how Katie Porter's idealism shows up. Quote, Porter has earned a reputation for tough and pointed questioning of officials during congressional hearings, often using visual aids such as whiteboards. She attracted attention from her, uh, for her questioning on the House Financial Services Committee. In March 2019, her questioning caught Wells Fargo CEO Tim Sloan contradicting what his corporate lawyers were arguing in court in statements that he had previously made pledging transparency were corporate puffery, according to documents lawyers submitted. In April 2019, Porter drew attention for a questioning of J.P. Morgan Chase CEO Jamie Dimon about how Chase, a Chase bank teller should make up for a $567 shortfall uh, between her monthly budget and her paycheck. So Jamie Dimon, multi-multi-millionaire, if not billionaire, uh, Chase was requiring their bank tellers to make, you know, to pay out of their pocket for any shortfalls and tell me, you know, look, people make mistakes. Uh, that's part of the cost of doing business. In May 2019, Porter asked Housing and Urban Development Secretary Ben Carson about REOs, real estate-owned properties, which Carson confused with Oreo cookies. You may remember that part, that one. And she also asked Consumer Financial Protection Bureau Director Kathy Kreninger to solve basic math problems about annual percentage rates on payday loans, with Kreninger declined to do so. Now, um, that's unquote from Wikipedia. All of that is great, but as I researched Katie Porter, I came to find out um, that she is no longer on the House Financial Services Committee. And now I'm going to go to a, 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 a piece by David 
David Dayen, Dayen, D-A-Y-E-N, in February, uh, dated February 1, 2001, in the American Prospect website. And it's titled, Why Katie Porter Isn't on the House Financial Services Committee. And you know what uh, um, Dayen uh, believes, and it sounds right? The House Financial Services Committee is, is chaired by Maxine Waters. Um, and we've seen Maxine Waters on TV before. Uh, Maxine Waters is also, I believe, from California. Um, <clears throat> Maxine Waters uh, apparently isn't happy with Katie Porter because Katie Porter's taking the limelight. She doesn't like Katie Porter pulling out that whiteboard. In fact, Kate, uh, Maxine Waters, in fact, Maxine Waters criticized her for doing that and told her not to do it on multiple occasions. Katie Porter, of course, being Katie Porter, she just continued to do it. But, but when uh, the, the most recent congressional um, uh, um, folks entered Congress, okay, uh, they had to do some realignment on the committees and there were a number of seats that were lost. It is unheard of for somebody who is on one of the high committees and that would include uh, the finance, House Financial Services Committee. It is almost unheard of that they would be kicked off the committee. Um, because of a realignment due to the election. Um, usually people make space one way or another. But that's exactly what happened. Kitty Porter got kicked off. She's no longer on there anymore. You're no longer going to see her with her whiteboard questioning people, trying to protect consumers. That's because Maxine Waters didn't want her on there. The other tidbit about Katie Porter is that um, she is a survivor of domestic violence. Uh, she's divorced from her husband now, but before uh, that divorce, um, she had been the subject of physical abuse and verbal abuse from him. Um, and in my book, that makes her all the more a person to be representative of other, of other humans. She knows what it means to be um, at the receiving end of things that are not good. So, Katie Porter, an idealist. Um, read up on her and learn more about what's going on in Congress um, and how um, even the politics of Congress take away some of our idealists. But I have a feeling that Katie Porter, she'll be around, don't worry. She's not going to go away. She'll find a way to have her voice heard. Okay. All right. Well, that's it for now. Um, I'm going to, when we come back, we're going to do a great interview with Sandra Samuels and um, then we'll go to my C block. I hope you're enjoying the show. Thanks so very much. We're back on LA 2.0 Radio on AM 950. Katie Porter, like I said, check her out and pay attention to her. She's going places. And now for the big interview, I have somebody else who's not only going places, has gone places. I have Sandra Samuels here, who is the uh, chief executive officer of the Northside Achievement Zone on the, on the line. Sandra, are you there? 
I am here, Ellie. Thank you for having me. Oh, thanks so very much for being on Ellie 2.0 Radio. I am just thrilled to have you here. And Sandra, I just got to tell you something right off the bat. You might not know this. I, I'd be shocked if you did. You and I have something in common. What is that? We are both born in Newark, New Jersey. Oh, get out of here. Are you serious? <laughs> I am serious. Absolutely. Born in Newark, lived in uh, Sayreville um, for yes. 11 years, and then got transported as a kid in 1968 to Iowa. <laughs> wow. Isn't that something? That is something. That is something. But I'm having you on here not to talk about our Jersey roots, although I'm yes. sure we could have some really great conversations. Yes. That's what I want to talk about, but okay. <laughs> well, okay. I've already told you I'm going to have you on more than once. Sandra. Okay, cool. You know, um, NAS, the North uh, Side Achievement Zone, is – a wonderful entity, and maybe we'll be able to touch on this, okay? Mm -hmm. But the mm -hmm. reason I want you on the show today is that you happen to be a board member of the TASCA project. And right, on the task force, Ellie. Okay, on the task force. Okay. <laughs> yeah, on the task force. And mm -hmm. so and, and and you are on the and 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 you are involved with this project called the first thousand days, right? Yes. Okay. Yes. And is that the task force you're referring to? Yes, it okay. is. First all right. Task Force, yep. Okay, all right. And, you know, when I first got word about the first thousand days, um, I wanted to have somebody come on and talk about it, okay, because it's, mm -hmm. it's so critical. But, mm -hmm. Sandra, could you first uh, – let's let the um, audience know what is the Atasca Project because some pe I'm, I'm sure many people have no idea about it. Yeah, well, Atasca Project is a project that is enviable, um, um, from other states, their perspective. Cause, and I know because I work with a lot of communities around the country. It's a coalition of about 70 business leaders and from 70 organizations committed to really important projects that really matter to the long-term well-being of our region, right? They love the Twin Cities region, and um, and they have – Stepped up in so many different ways to in un, in unusual ways for for CEOs, you know, and other business leaders to do. And I've been it's been an honor for me to work um, with them. Um, I think that they're serious about making a difference, and you just do not see this in every region in every state. You just don't. Right. And 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 is a Tasca project? Is it is it? A national thing, or is it just germane to no, uh, Minnesota? That's us. Okay, that's us. Yep, that's, that's, what I, us. that's what I thought. When you talk about 70 businesses, these are 70 Minnesota entities, right? Absolutely. Okay, absolutely. all right. Absolutely. With a real focus on our region, you know, and, and, From, and again, long term livability and health and well being. And, um, and I've had personal experiences with them responding after Jamar Clark was murdered by police years, yep. years ago. Yep. Um, I had a bunch of Itasca members who would come to the, to the lower level of the Northside Achievement Zone, and we kind of worked through what it would look like to do something proactive, not in response to, but to actually change the way um, our community is related to in terms of jobs and, you know, workforce and livability, all that good stuff. Anyway. Right. No, 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 no. I mean, it's, 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 yeah. I mean, the, uh, the Twin Cities and Minnesota generally, um, broad statement, good place to live. 
uh, particularly for white color people. And um, by the way, Sandra, you don't know this also. I refer to white people as white color, C-O-L-O-R people. Okay. Um, and, yes. and the reason for that is that most white people yes. don't believe that white's a color. They believe that it's normal. Yes. My, my audience has heard this from me multiple times. And so, okay. but so Minnesota, I love that, Ellie, by the way, I love that. Well, you know, um, we got to get people thinking. And so yes. Minnesota, uh, Twin Cities, generally great place to live if you're a white color. Um, if you're not yes. white color, uh, not so good. And there, and there are so real good. challenges. And that gets us to this thousand, um, first thousand days project. And can yes. you, uh, can you explain uh, to the audience what is the First Thousand Days project? Yeah, the First Thousand Days is a project that, again, focused on the health and long-term well-being of our community, and and we acknowledging that no no entity is greater than our babies and their development, especially doing what we need to do as adults because this is this is not this is the future of our of our cities yep. right our state right um doing what we need to do so that they have the best development brain development life you know development all the way around and what all the science all the science this is not disputable this is not Sandra's opinion all the science says that the brain's architecture and this is a different thing, Ellie. Before, we used to say that 80% of the brain was developed by the time a child was three. And, of course, full development doesn't happen until 25. <laughs> and I have kids who are uh, 25, uh, 21, and 20. And so I know that to be true on the other end. But but on the, on the baby's end, it's not that it's developed, fully developed, you know, th- that 80% by three. It's that the architecture is laid down. Right. Right. The, uh, the foundation upon which the house will be built yep. that does happen and in the and the first three years is the first thousand days of a child's life and so it's so critical Ellie and if we know that if we know that this is what shapes life outcomes why wouldn't we as a community if we're serious about the long-term health and well-being of our of of our um state, why wouldn't we then do what we needed to do to make sure that would come into reality? And so for these business people to say that's important, <laughs> like that's, that's like so important that we're going to spend a couple <clears throat> years focused on that. And it, it, it's just amazing. But that's what the first thousand years is. It's a way to really introduce to our community. It's a way to introduce to businesses and employers the importance of those first thousand days to the child's future and to our future, our collective future. And, and so I think it's like in, incredibly powerful. Great. And, and, and um, I couldn't agree with you more. I mean, all of this uh, kind of thinking went into Head Start, uh, you know, way back uh, yes. when the Great Society yep. was created yep. in the mid-60s yep. and, and all of that. And, of course, um, how are we doing with that? Um, and so that um, – and I'm, I'm coming up uh, uh, soon here on a break, Sandra. So I'm going to give you a question and then um, you can begin to answer it. And that is, I mean, okay, so you're, you're bringing, you know, the attention to the employers in greater Min- in Minnesota, you know, mm-hmm. and greater Twin Cities ret- uh, Metro mm-hmm. about the first mm-hmm. thousand days. But what, I mean, what else? I mean, what else are you asking yeah. them to do? So here's, here's two things. Hold One on, is, hold on. So- now I'm going to interrupt you. Okay, sorry. Okay. <laughs> 
That's okay. <laughs> we got to take. Okay. Uh, we, I, I told you before we started, but but hold that and we'll come back. Okay, all right, uh, listeners. Uh, we've been speaking, uh, barely speaking. I'm, I'm just telling you, I'd want to speak to Sandra for like six hours, but we're barely started speaking to Sandra Samuels about uh, the Atasca Project, its Thousand Days Initiative. When we come back from our break, we'll talk with her more. If you like what you hear, visit my website at elliekrug.com. Email me at elliej. Remember the J. Elliej Krug at Gmail. I love hearing from you. We'll be back in a sec. And we're back. Ellie 2.0 Radio on AM 950. You're listening to me, Ellie Krug. I've been speaking with, we started down the road of a phenomenal interview with Sandra Samuels uh, talking about the first thousand days. It's a, it's a project of the Atasca project. It's a task force to try and educate everyone, but particularly employers and um, thought leaders about the importance of the first thousand days in the life of a human. And Sandra, before we took our break, I asked you, apart from, you know, mm-hmm raising awareness about the importance mm-hmm. of the first thousand days. And boy, I, I mm-hmm. could just go on with you about that. What, what are you specifically asking the business community to do? I mean, what do you, do you have like action plan for them? Yeah. So, so they have to put their money where their mouth is and, yeah. and meaning. So the part, so part, part of the awareness is that you have a whole campaign because people do not know the importance <clears throat> on by and large, the importance of the first thousand days and what you do in those days to build the brain because the brain is a muscle and you and you parents actually build it the reading to talking to playing with pointing yep. things out yep. the attachment so all so it's not just oh the first thousand days are important it's they're so important and here's what you can do at home every day and so that's one the other one is making sure their policies are aligned with uh, um, with their value that the, the thir- first thousand days kids need their families, you know, and so they might be working, but they're looking at um, paternity and and maternity leave policies, right? Okay. Um, The flexibility with which people work, you know, the compensation, I mean, you know, childcare. So all of that becomes the concern of the employer. Okay. Right. And I know when I was 55, I'm, I'm 55 now. I know when I was working earlier, it was like, can we find a place to pump milk, please? And so it's like making your yep. place a place where the information is, a place where compensation is, leave, um, and and also just the environment okay. um, in the workplace. So Sandra, I'm 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 sitting here, and I am absolutely familiar with the disparities. All right, mm-hmm. you know mm-hmm. that. Um, uh, children of color are reading at uh, what third grade level at about thirty eight percent. Uh, uh, somewhere around there, and and white color kids are yep, reading, absolutely. you know, reading mm-hmm. at uh, that level at you know sixty eight, sixty nine percent of yes, white color yes. kids are doing that. Yeah. And I'm also thinking, and now this is a very broad brush, okay? But I'm, I'm I'm as you're talking about this, I'm like, well, of course the target, the target corporate will get this. The General Mills mm-hmm. corporate will right, get right, this. Right, right. But what about the McDonald's where we've got people working not one. But two minimum wage jobs, right, 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 and, be, and, yep. and it's both both parents working mm-hmm. two minimum wage mm-hmm. jobs in order mm-hmm. to just pay the darn bills. 
How, right. how do we break through that? And, and how does that resonate with, you know, a franchise owner, you know, a McDonald's or, you know, a Wendy's or Denny's or something like that? Yeah, absolutely. You know, one of the things that I constantly talked about um, as a task force member was that if so, one, um, how many of you employers here actually have people from my neighborhood? I live in North Minneapolis. Yep. And, and the profile of disproportionate, a disproportionate portion of the community that's low income and black. Right. <laughs> right. Right. And so it's like, so because if you're not reaching Latinx community, African-American community, African community, and, you know, Asian, so on, um, that are low income, then we actually potentially with this initiative will grow the gap. Right. Because you, the, the people who already have will yep. get more and more information. The people who so, don't will have less. So anyway, so yep. two things. One, the employers that have bought into this, they know that their job is to be ambassadors and to get out there with their colleagues. So franchise owners are colleagues with some of the, the employers at the table. And that, that's been the beauty um, that I, I want to say, um, Ellie, of Itasca is that they do outreach. So I know I have a peer group. They have a peer group. So that's one. They're they're reaching out. It's not just I yep. get it. It's I got to make sure my network of employers get it. So that's one. The other is when they can't impact directly in that way is also to have a community component where they are for for communities like mine that they are actually reaching in to the small businesses in North Minneapolis, for example, um, who who might not be at that table, and actually supporting them. And this is all. So you know, this is. You know, it's it's relatively new, but I got to tell you, for it to work, and I know the people at the table know this, it is leaning in also with resources around community and, and small business owners so that they can do some of the same things for their employees, as well as have a community <clears throat> campaign. And, you know, working with, you know, people like me, Northside Achievement Zone, who, you know, and, and we have a Power to the Parent radio uh, program that comes on yep, Sundays. Yep. I know they're getting to different communities. So it's a both-and approach. Well, so, but let me throw another question, and that yeah. is this, um, and it's a broad question. Mm-hmm. We're not going to get there unless we can convince the white color person out in Thief River Falls mm-hmm. that what is happening in Minneapolis is important to him or her mm-hmm. and or uh, that it's okay to spend ex- tax dollars that they're sending to St. Paul for that. Right. I mean, how many times, I mean, Sandra, I'm sure you're, you at least kept some finger on the pulse of the legislature, how many mm-hmm. times do things that are important to all humans, regardless of the color of the skin, for example, right. police reform, how right. many times are they getting blocked by people yep. who are in, you know, representatives from greater Minnesota who think, well, that's not my problem. I don't want to spend it. We're, my constituents don't want to spend the dollars. So how are we going to, you know, this thousand first thousand days thing. I mean, this applies to black, brown, you know, Asian, indigenous, white, mm-hmm. white mm-hmm. people too, white color people. Right. How do, right. are, are we try, are you working on getting that message to, to greater Minnesota as well as the Twin Cities or is this just a Twin City focused thing? 
Yeah, so, you know, boy, I tell you, Ellie, I, I, I have a little different perspective. So I don't think that our challenge is outstate Minnesota and what they will support or not. I think that's part of it, right? This is a yep. whole countrywide thing. Um, I see a greater challenge of people who call themselves my allies ah, and who go. are more liberal go. and who go and vote and vote against changing arbitration rules, for example, that allow a police chief, that cause a police chief, and this has happened like for decades now, Ellie. Yeah. A police chief sees a Chauvin. They, the city is paying out money in um, um, lawsuits, and the chief fires the police officer, and 50% of the time, because of arbitration rules, right. they have to rehire him. Yep. It wasn't, when that went right after George Floyd was murdered, and it went back, and it went to the Capitol, and they voted on changing, because it has to be a state change, yep. voting on cha- changing arbitration rules. People in Ellie, Minnesota weren't tracking that and calling and saying, don't change that rule because that, that wasn't going to cost them any money. It was it was the legislators, the, the elected officials job to change that rule. And they did not do it. And, and I tell you, Ellie, that one of the greatest um, um, blockers of it was the union. A bunch of unions came together and said no, because if yep. you ch- and I'm a union baby. So I'm sure. not. But yep. we we. My, you know, it's like we have to start calling on even our friends, okay, who themselves feel as though they have something they'll lose. What do the union have to use? Oh, well, if, 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 if they can no longer have to rehire because of the arbitration rules, chosen back onto the force, which a police chief has to do 50% of the time, then they, the next thing might be coming for me and my union. Correct. It That's could, yeah, it, yeah, it may be coming my way for the plumbers union or the or the Teamsters. Right. Yeah, no, and, 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 so, and so, right. so this is a yeah, Ellie, and so this is so. So I'm just taking it out of yeah. Greater Minnesota. It becomes a human thing when I think that I am going to lose, and that this has been white supremacy. If oh, I, yeah. we all can't win, <laughs> and if I think I'm going to lose because my taxes will go up. Because more, you know, I'll have to send my white kids to a black community to get educated. Oh, my gosh. Well, then, then when, it, it, when it costs me, I'm not willing to do it. Sandra, again, I mean, I could talk for you, with you for six hours and maybe you and I should schedule six Zoom sessions <laughs> off the radio. Um, for me, the fundamental. So just hear me out, OK, because my mm-hmm. listeners are going to hear this in the last block following For me, the fundamental problem, and until we get past this problem, I don't think we're going to fix anything. The fundamental problem is why why people prefer white white color skin over all all other skin colors. Amen, Ellie. And Sandra. Amen. Sandra, we can... I mean, you know, I, I see that. I mean, we're, we're trying to push a half a billion dollars into projects, you know, for new community centers, for, you know, uh, mm-hmm. early child care. All of those mm-hmm. things are important, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. but they're not going to work until mm-hmm. we deal with the yep. issue, until we deal with the issue of, of why white skin color is favored. Yep. And what that is going to take... Yep is getting white color people, people of other skin colors, people who are other, okay, in our society, in a room 
talking to each other about their respective experiences, fears, um, wants, desires, loves, and learning that they're all alike. Yeah. How are Sandra, yep. who's doing that work? Where's that work going to happen? Yeah. So, you know, the, the neat thing is that it's happening in pockets of our country. <laughs> and people are, the, the wonderful thing about COVID and what we're seeing is, Ellie, I think more than any other time, people, pockets of people, and pockets add up, um, are, are starting to understand our interconnection. And I do think, thank God for smartphones that because what the black community has always known, that there is a different system of policing for if you have white color versus if you have black color. There's a different system of policing. We've known that. But the world didn't know it, and white colored people didn't know I love that, Ellie, by the way. (laughs) They, They didn't know it until the smartphone. So no matter how much I used to tell my white friends about the discrimination or racism I faced, they always, well, maybe you're reading into that. Maybe it really wasn't that bad. Maybe, right? And so with the thing, they couldn't say, maybe he didn't have his knee on the neck for nine (laughs) minutes and 29 seconds. Oh, Oh, Right? Till you even have conservative, homophobic, hateful Pat Robertson. I don't know if you heard this. Yeah, Pat no, I Robertson heard it last night. I heard it. Yep, I heard it. Yep. You know, I mean, now you know it's bad when Pat Robertson <laughs> talks about the police. Sandra, Sandra, I'm going to have to interrupt you um, yes. uh, because we're running up against the end here. Sandra, can I ask you, and you got to give it to me quickly, all right? Mm-hmm. What made you an idealist? Because you are one. <laughs> My friend, if it's okay if I call you that. Yes, you can call me that. What you made you What that. made you an idealist? Uh, uh, knowing some of our history and <laughs> that, that love is the only thing. And every time I look back, Ellie, it's like the, to the degree that humans have evolved and we've moved toward love more, it was because of other idealists <laughs> who believed in that. And they, and they sacrificed their lives for you and I to be on this, this radio show right now. Yep. And so I can't, we can't do any less <laughs> to, to continue to bend the arc of the universe towards justice. Oh, my God. Okay, Sandra, I'm going to have you back on the show, assuming you're willing, okay? Because yeah, I want to talk about your work with the Northside Achievement Zone. Thank you yes. for being on LE 2.0 Radio. Thank you for... Um, thank you for what you're doing in the world, okay? Yes, Ellie, thank you. And, you know, let me know if I can help in any way, okay? And um, uh, I just, we're going to have, we'll have you back in a few uh, few months, okay? And we'll talk about right. Naz. And, um, and in the meantime, hang in there, okay? Yes, I'm, uh, and, and, and Ellie, know that you are now, have a special place as my sister. Oh, <laughs> Oh, that Newark thing helps, doesn't it? Uh, <laughs> okay, no, all right. Well, <laughs> all right, call me anytime. Okay, all right. Well, thanks so okay. very much, Sandra. I really appreciate it. All right. Um, and all right, listeners, when we come back, um, we will 
do my C block where I'm going to talk a little bit on what we've already talked about, but then I'm going to talk about an act of kindness, an allyship that happened to me the other yesterday. All right, you're listening to me, Elliot Krug and Elliot 2.0. We'll be back in a second. Thanks. We're back. AM 950. Sandra Samuels. I literally could have talked to her for six hours, and maybe I'll end up doing that eventually. But she's she's someone that we need. I mean, she's making things happen, and we need that. So we're in my C block right now. I'm going to talk about two things. And before I talk about anything else, I just want to say some names to you because now we really need to get serious. I was laughing around with Sandra, but let's talk about some serious stuff for just a couple of minutes. Three names. Uh, Lieutenant Karen Nazario. Adam Toledo. Dante Wright. Those are three names that I had no idea about. This time last week. I had no idea about any of those three people. The three black people, two of them are dead. And one of them emotionally traumatized, probably for the rest of his life. Because police officers want to have power. We're in a world right now in America that policing is about total domination and control. Now, let's also make sure that I make clear to you this, all right? I believe in the police. I believe that policing is needed. I believe that police officers, for the most part, are really good people. I believe generally, okay, that policing is an institution of great value in America, However, it is often a culture of total dominance and control. And I get part of that because that is about their personal safety, but I do not get and I do not understand why you have to always squash, suffocate, drown out, overyell, impose great strength on people who are just asking, why have you stopped me? Why are you doing this? Why why have you pulled me over? And it is that culture of domination and control. It is that absolute culture that is killing us. Mainly, it's killing a lot of Black people, but it's killing some white-colored people. But it is killing all of America because it is affecting our spirits. It's affecting our mental health. I mean, my God, three names since you heard my voice on the radio last time. We cannot sustain this. And much of it 
is because the white color skin is feared far less than any other skin color. And as you heard me talk with Sandra about this, until we start having those conversations of why white skin color is favored, nothing, nothing will stick. Okay. You'll hear me continue to come back to that about the need for us to have conversations. I want to relate something that good happened, some compassion yesterday. I am a CVS pharmacy person. You know, I'm, I mean, that's my pharmacy. Yesterday, I went to the pharmacy in Chaska. Chaska, Target, has a CVS. I don't have this person's permission to use her name, so I'm just going to call her Annie. Um, I went up. Um, um, there's a, you know, there's a, a script uh, that I need in part, part, well, I need because I'm transgender. Um, and this particular script costs a lot of money. And I did not think it very well because I went, I had happened to be in Target for something else. I'm like, okay, well, it's probably time for this script. And I went up there and, I, and Annie came to help me and we started down the road to getting it refilled. And I said, hold on, wait a minute. I said, I, I needed to go get, I said, Annie, I forgot. I, I, I didn't know what her name was at the time. I forgot. I need, I had to go, I have to go to GoodRx when I get back home. I've got to get a coupon. This is way too expensive for me to pay out of my pocket um, because my deductible is so high. And you know what she did? She pulled out her phone right then and there. And she said, well, hold on a second. I think the manufacturer has a discount. And, and, and she's like, what's your birth date? Give me your email. And she's just putting this all into her phone, just like standing there right then and there, taking like, I don't know, it was a good five minutes of her time, you know, and people were behind me, but then her colleagues came and helped the people behind me. And you know what? She does all that. And she said, um, it's, it's only a hundred dollars off, but is that okay? And I'm like, oh, are you kidding me? And, and then, and, and I just, I was, I was shocked that she would, somebody would go to that trouble for me, okay? But that was allyship. Ally is a status, allyship is action. And I, I've got to tell you, I was so grateful that someone, a stranger, would care about me. Now, I, I need to let you know, I, I have trained CBS corporate before, so just be aware of that. But I'm not telling you the story because of that. I'm telling you the story because people show up in your life unexpectedly doing kind and good things. So Annie's going to get a card from me <laughs> um, and um, a great boatload of written words of thanks. So there you go. Okay, everyone. Well, listen, a big thanks to my producer, Patrick. Um, Patrick, you did great today. I really appreciate everything you do for me. My listeners, I hope you like this show. Will you tell others about it? I would love for this show to take off in one way or another. Um, please know I care about you. Will you go out and will you do good in the world? Will you go and try and make the world a little bit better? And I'd love to hear from you about that. Remember, lejkrug at gmail.com. Until next week, okay? Go out. Be an idealist. Make the world a better place. Bye-bye.